Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner. Hopefully, along with Chris Lisa. Chris, are you there, too? I, I am. Hopefully, you can hear me. I hear you fine. I always hear you. It's just when we do this, sometimes it doesn't pick my mic up. And whatever the case may be, we're both here, and we're both ready to talk some hockey today. Joining us later in the show will be Mark Scheig. He's the HockeyWriters.com Columbus Blue Jackets writer, and he just dropped a new article this morning profiling the growth of head coach Sean Tortorella, so we'll be talking to him about that, among other things, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, but first, let's get into the Golden Knights. They are freshly tied for first place after getting a harder point in Vancouver this week. Chris, what do you th- what do you say about these first place Golden Knights? Yeah, like we said the uh, the other night, um, you know they, they you know it was a game where they had forty three shots. They came back uh, multiple times, down um, by more than one goal, three one, uh, down a goal with less than five minutes to go, and. You know, unfortunately for them, they couldn't get that OT uh, or extra time winner. But, they, you know, they pick up a point. Um, uh, their record uh, in the last number of games of uh, last 11 or 12 games has been very, uh, very Eight, good. So, um, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, so the, the Knights are – you know, they got to keep on keeping on. They have a tough uh, stretch before the Christmas break. They're in San Jose tomorrow night, and then they're home to um, uh, Colorado on Monday night. So uh, not easy. Um, um, a two-game stretch here. So uh, it would be nice to see them finish up uh, uh, with a couple wins before uh, before Christmas. Yeah, you know, well, you know, no matter where the Sharks are in the standing, that's going to be a tough game in San Jose. They they have not been playing well, but I don't think that matters when these two teams meet. To throw out the old cliche, Avalanche, um, arguably the best team in the Western Conference right now. They miss out on Taylor Hall, but I don't think that matters to them too much. Um, Avalanche have been consistently good all season long, so that I think that it is a, it is a vital two game stretch to you know, keep that confidence going, keep that momentum going as, as they head into the Christmas break. Um, they, they need to, you know, Oilers have been struggling and, and, and they're starting to fall back with a loss last night. Um, they need to keep creating separation with the teams behind them in the division and also um, putting more teams between them and the wild card. Uh, if they come into another tough stretch of hockey this season, uh, it's pretty. Um, you know, I, I'm I, I'm never a fan of the at least they got a point thing, but in this case, it was really kind of the perfect storm for the Golden Knights. I was talking with a buddy at work um, Thursday, and I, I just didn't have a good feeling about it. Uh, they had just really put a paste in to Vancouver at T-Mobile Arena a couple a couple days earlier. They were riding a three-game win streak. The game at T-Mobile, Vancouver was on the second night of a back-to-back where they played uh, Jacob Markstrom both games. So they did. Obvi- they obviously didn't have their their legs about them, except for.
for like short periods of time throughout that game. Then they they come home and after a road trip, one of the betting trends in Vegas is the first game home after a road trip, you always bet against that team. So they obligatorily lost to the Canadians. So they were riding a three-game losing streak um, into the game against the Golden Knights on Thursday night and, and kind of predictably jumped out to a 2 nothing lead and then a 3-1 lead. Um, Vegas being one of, I think, only three teams to not win a game after falling behind by two goals or more in the, in the National Hockey League this season. Uh, so the, they, they did. They came back. They tied, tied the game up, uh, like you say, late, and were able to salvage a point. So with everything lining up, I mean, what the Sharps would say was that, plus with a look-ahead game um, against San Jose Sunday, this is like kind of a perfect letdown game for the Golden Knights, but they were able to get their legs about them, uh, played a real good second period, real good third period, and was able to salvage the point that moved them into a tie for first place in the division for the first time uh, with any number of games uh, games played for the first time this season. 8-2-2 uh, two and two in their last 12. So, so far, so good. Uh, Flurry has been up and down, I'd say, since he came back. Uh, he had missed seven games due to the passing of his father, and he's looked good. He's looked a little rusty. He's staying on the ice after practice, taking some extra work, uh, working on fundamentals and angles and stuff like that. And really no need to worry about Marc-Andre Fleury uh, and how he's going to perform coming up. So uh, all, all systems go, I believe, right now for the Golden Knights. And it's hard to believe just, uh, what was it, three weeks ago, when you were asking me what the panic level was in, in Golden Knights Nation, and they strung together a nice string of of, uh, of wins and, and solid hockey, more importantly, and have found themselves in first place. Yeah, and what's helped, too, other than Calgary, a, a lot of the other teams have either played 500 or best or really struggled, like Edmonton lost again last night. This is a kind of a, a time where they can really um, – Stack up some wins, like we said, the next two nights. And, you know, this will be kind of a rallying cry game for the Sharks to kind of try to uh, build around and build up from. So that's, you know, that's for tomorrow night. And then Colorado, but a back-to-back scenario, so not easy. Uh, then we have the Christmas break, and they have one game in Anaheim. But then they then they come home for a seven-game homestand. So, um, and they're very good at home. You know, Arizona, Anaheim, Philly. St. Louis, Pittsburgh, L.A., and Columbus before going on a very, oh, my God, a long road trip. They go on a one, two, three, four, five, six, eight-game road trip, if I have that correct, from January 14th uh, to February 1st. What the heck is going on at the T-Mobile Arena during that time? I have no idea. Uh, They go to Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal, Boston, Carolina, Nashville, Tampa Bay, and Florida. So... Before you know, we want to be in a good position before uh, hitting that long uh, road trip in the middle of January. Yeah, and with the the teams that they're going to get at at home, they I mean, just looking at their win percentage alone, um, that that should be a time to put some points here in the bank if they if they continue to play well and they continue to grow and and you know I always say it's a process. Um, you could throw a bunch of all-stars on the ice, but that doesn't mean 
um, it's going to just instantly create chemistry. And <clears throat> look at the New York Yankees, for instance. Um, <laughs> they they try and buy their way to the pennant amongst other teams every year. And it, it's been a while since that happened. So um, they're, they're, they're feeling it. Max Pacioretty has been on a, on a tear lately. Um, leading by example, uh, Mark Stone starting to warm up as well as um, Carlson, Marsha Show, and Smithline. The last three games has really looked as good as they've looked all season long. Uh, moving the puck, passing, uh, the chemistry on that line. I know early in the season that Coach Gallant was, excuse me, doing a little line blender, little line blender work, trying to trying to get a spark out of things. But um, they've been they've been back together for a while now, and it, it, from my eye, just the eye test, from the the Corsi man or, or any of that stuff, just the eye test. I think they're playing together. Um, as well as they have all season. Now it's interesting. Um, what do they do now? We've we've seen uh, new guy come in and play very well. I believe he has four goals now, Mister Stevenson. Um, and with Glass and Eakin out with injury. They've moved him to play second line between Patch Reddy and Stone, and that line's kind of been um, very, very good. He he brings more speed to that line than Stasny does. He's, his face-off percentage is, is bad, I will say that. But now with Stasny playing third line with uh, Tuck and Zekoff returning from the minor leagues after serving a 20-game PED suspension, uh, that's where Stastny is. Uh, no sex entering Carrier and Ruiz uh, with uh, Nick Waugh uh, in the mix for that fourth-line center position. What uh, what do you do when you're playing very well, as well as you have all season? And at some point, you're going to get both those centers back. What uh, what do you think, Coach? Yeah, it, it, you know what? It, it, injuries pop up, pop up. Uh, sometimes players, you know, uh, in terms of how they're playing, uh, good or good or good or bad, um, it goes up and down. So you were, it's a good problem to have. If that's the case, everyone comes back and healthy and everyone's playing great, you'll figure it out. But, you know, you can never have uh, too many players going at one. So I wouldn't, you know, it's a, it's a good thing that uh, Stevenson is playing well during this time with injuries. And, and you know, I'm sure they have, uh, you know, the long game in terms of uh, – how they want their team to look and um, be in good shape in that regard. It just gives them another really, uh, you know, good player added to the roster. Well, are you are you uh, just philosophically, um, can a player lose his job to injury if somebody comes in and outplays them? Or are you uh, of the mindset that you usually want to give your guy his spot back and, and – and give him that courtesy. Where, where do you stand on that? I think you know you have to you look at it and you analyze it and you say what's at the end of the day what's the best for the team you know um, um, from the standpoint of this is what player X A does player B does player C who what's best for the team in terms of 
who fits well with what, and you know, and or if we're talking about this a player better at center or wing, and what's the ramifications of that. So it's always that's always got to be first and foremost is what's best for the team. So um, um, Stevenson's on a good roll, so you know, hopefully you can keep riding that, and the other guys will get healthy and get back, and and they'll figure it out. And look, you need um, and in today's NHL, you need uh, you really do need. All lines going, so the more the merrier. No, I agree 100. percent And then, uh, real quick, before Mark Scheidt joins us, we're going to talk a little Columbus Blue Jackets hockey bit uh, in our next segment. Um, there's been some more trade rumblings coming out of New Jersey with Kyle, Mar- Kyle Palmieri reportedly on the block with as many as eight teams, VGK included, in the rumor mill regarding Kyle Palm- Palmieri. Do they? Are they going to blow this whole thing up in New Jersey? I know we talked a little bit Jersey Devils hockey uh, Wednesday in our midweek report, our fifth edition of the midweek report. Um, do you see more moves coming? And do you see VGK as a player for Paul Mary um, if he is really on the market? Yeah, that would um, that would be a total blow-up. It's kind of a 180 <laughs> of what they did over the summer with right. the ads that they did. And, um you know, it's one thing to trade uh, that and then who's a pending UFA and uh, you're looking at the big picture or even their longtime player, Andy Green, who's, I think, 35 years of age, and you can get future assets. Uh, I don't know his contract off the top of my head. I remember from a couple of years ago, <coughs> excuse me, Kyle Palmari signed an extension for, I think, under $5 million per year, which in today's standards for a good player is, is, is against is a bit of a bargain. So <coughs> maybe they're just putting out feelers to see, um, you know, the, the, you know, if so what the value is, but yeah, if they were to pull the, the lever on that, that would be a total, uh, blow up rebuild if you, if you will. But, um, again, maybe they feel like, uh, the time is right. We can get a lot for him now. Um, it's not going to be now a tail hole off the, off the, off the boards. Uh, it's, there's not going to be a lot of scoring wingers available between, uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, so let's call them second line or better uh, scoring wingers on the board between now and the trade deadline. So maybe, or maybe in their t- talks with Hall, uh, with other teams, there there was an interest expressed in Palmieri, uh, and there's other players that they think they can get. So maybe that kind of opened the door as well. So we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to get Lyle Richardson on uh, Spectres Hockey here in a, in a little bit as these things start to heat up. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of teams that are already defined, I believe, as going to be big sellers here. And we'll talk a little bit about where Columbus is going to fall into that with our guest Mark Scheig as he joins the show. Good day to you, Mark. Thanks for coming in again. Good day, boys. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, before we get into some Blue Jackets talking and where they are and what they might be doing here as the trade deadline starts to loom on the horizon, you dropped a new article uh, this morning on on Coach Tortorella, and we all remember the the fiery going after people in the hallway, Coach Tortorella, but you're seeing a different Tortorella as you, you wrote a nice profile on Tortorella. Why don't you talk a little bit about that before we get started? Yeah, so it's it's just one of those things where I think some of the old narratives that are out there about him that he's not a good coach or he's fiery or 
you know, even still with some of the post-game press conferences that still happen with him where he essentially goes in there, doesn't answer any questions or says one or two words and then leaves after a minute. So a lot of people just get the impression, oh, it's the same old Tortorella. And I just thought, you know, covering him now since he joined the Blue Jackets when Todd Richards got fired, you know, I he had to change but he has changed. And that was why I ended up writing the profile just because there's such a misconception about not only how great of a coach he is. I mean, won a cup in 2004. I know that was 15 years ago now, but he's won two Jack Adams awards since he's got the most wins um, for a U.S. coach in NHL history. He's a really, really good coach. And I think this year might even be one of his best um, coaching performances ever when you consider and what was the headline all off season? No Panera, no Bobrovsky, no Duchesne, on and on and on. Who's going to score goals? Who's going to be the goal tech? They're above hockey 500. I know they're not in the playoffs right now, but they're down nine regulars to injury. And he's managed to not only keep the team afloat, but they're playing well. They're going for four wins in a row tonight. And that really shows the, the kind of coach that he is. He knows how to motivate He's honest. He's very thoughtful when you get him in the right place. And, you know, it's, he's a major reason why Columbus still could make something out of this season. Well, with the uh, – we talked a little bit about this on our Wednesday show um, with the, uh, the recent firing of, of Peters in Calgary and, and the tales of past abuse and, and racial discrimination and – I believe it was material breach of personal conduct in Dallas, um, San Jose. Uh, basically, so far, uh, aside from Toronto, the only one of the only actual hockey coaching uh, terminations we've seen here this season. Um, back in the day, and we talked about being the the old boys club where uh, a lot of uh, Peter's activities were probably covered up at, during his time in, in coaching Calgary or Carolina's minor league teams. Um, Tortorella on, on the other side of that has all like you, and you use the word honest and there's nothing about Tortorella that is a behind the scenes guy. He he lets everybody know where they stand at all times. He's sometimes blunt. He's sometimes abrasive. But I don't think I've ever seen a crossing of the line, if you will, out of Coach Tortorella. He's very passionate. He, he obviously, um, like you said, with, with uh, where he sits in the coaching lexicon as far as NHL wins, um, obviously a, a great hockey mind for our time, and he's been able to do it with um, you know, before the lockout rules with Tampa, um, he he got the let, let's uh, say if not undermanned, maybe not with as much talent as some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference had. Um, in 2014, he got back to the Stanley Cup final again, <clears throat> and maybe hampered a bit with the Columbus market. He's done a really good job uh, coaching in, in what is a challenging market in Columbus. Well, without question. And, you know, if you were to look right now at Columbus, who's the fate? Why do people pay attention to the Columbus Blue Jackets right now? 
the answer right now, just because of who's on the team and who's around, if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's Sean Torrella. He literally brings the relevance. He brings eyes to the team. So there are more eyes on him in that sense. I mean, you think of all the things that he's been through, you know, whether it be when he went into the hallway um, in the Calgary-Vancouver or um, with what happened with Team USA. I mean, a lot there's a big negative perception out there that he can't coach or he can't do this or he can't do that. But like you said, he wouldn't have as many wins if he wasn't a good coach. And if you ask anybody out there who's had him, I know there's some exceptions out there, but for the most part, there's, there's NHL players that say that John Tortorella it was their best head coach because he was honest. He was forthright. He just went right to their face and told them exactly, maybe not what they wanted to hear at the moment, but it was something that they needed to hear. And I think the thing that gets overlooked with him is just how much leadership is around him. Like he's really good at being able to take a young player and develop them into a leader. Now I could go on and on about that. You know, a short story though, the current captain, Nick Foligno, Tortorella came out and said, you know, you know what, Nick, I don't think that you'd make a good captain. And you know what? Um, at, over the course of some time. And here we are today. He's a pretty good captain. I mean, he really is forthright, but at the end of the day, he does care about his players. And I know, you know, you're brought, talking about, does he cross the line? Everything that I've seen, I know the athletic wrote an article, probably I think a couple weeks ago now about this topic and talking to different players and did he cross the line? And everybody said that quite frankly, no, he didn't actually cross the line. Like he would approach the line, but he never crossed it. Never got to a point where there was um, physical confrontation or anything like that. It just, he, he hates to lose. He's very passionate. He doesn't hide it. And I think it's a breath of fresh air in today's NHL. Yeah, no doubt about it. Chris, why don't you jump in, and, and we'll get into some of the current workings. Uh, make sure everybody goes to thehockeywriters.com forward slash Mark Scheich or on Twitter at Mark Scheich and, and download the article and give it a read. It's a really good piece, Mark. You did a good job on it. Thank you. Hey, Mark. Great to have you back. So um, I'll start off with just to wrap up on the on the jackets a bit. You know, like you said, they've been very, uh, you know, competitive, basically, you know, roughly a point a game. But as you know, the Metro is playing um, really terrific. And, um, you know, if if it's going to be uh, pretty much out of arm's reach for come late January, early February, uh, for the Jackets to be in contention for one of those wild card spots, let's say, do you think there's a player or two possibly they could sell at the deadline? Um as you know, as we know from last trade deadline, uh, the aggressive nature of Kakalainen and, and the organization, they traded away a lot of draft picks. And while they ha- do have their first-round pick this year, unlike last year, they don't have a second and they don't have a third. So uh, if they're going to wind up being a team that misses the playoffs, that's not a great formula. So how do you, how, what do you think the game plan is going to be for Columbus as, uh, between now and the trade deadline? Well, I think that I recently wrote about it, Chris, and that's a really good question because I don't think that story is completed yet. I think the story for this has just started. I mean, yes, for here we are at Christmas. We still have a whole month of January, and we have a little bit of February to go. And I believe the Blue Jackets were seven points out of the second wild card spot. That's a pretty tall mountain, but it's not inconceivable. I mean, if you look at 
how they've gotten to this point. Jonas Corpusalo had a slow start, been much better of late, played a lot of games, but he's really he's kind of starting to show signs that maybe he can be a number one goaltender. That's obviously a good start. The thing that's played the Blue Jackets all season, though, has been their lack of finish. They have not been able to score goals at the rate that you would see. Josh Anderson, horrible year for him. He's in a contract. He's got one goal this year, and he's now an injured reserve after getting into a fight against Ottawa. It's about as bad as a season of a start that you can get for somebody who had 27 goals last year. Cam Atkinson started turning around a little bit. Got eight goals this year, but he's had 41 last year. So there's an obvious gap in scoring, and Tortorella is depending on six rookie, up to six rookies to kind of find the way. So to have them be at 500, even a little bit above, given all those circumstances, that's why I said there was a very masterful job. And I think that the what happens the rest of this month and in January is going to really tell what they're going to do. I think ultimately, though, if they do decide to do something, because you're right, the Metro is absolutely stacked. You look at the Capitals. You look at Carolina. You look at the Penguins. You look at the Islanders. That's four right there. And I haven't even gotten to Philadelphia yet. And so there potentially could be your two wild cards. If you think of it, if five, those five teams make the playoffs, your two wild cards are right there. So Columbus has a hill that they have to climb. But I think that it's a little too early to say what they're going to do. I think ultimately, though, if they start to get everybody healthy, if they do want to get bring in forward help, the one area of strength on the team is the defense. And there's a couple of names that I recently wrote about that I think if they wanted to make a splash, because they're not going to trade their first-round pick, you, you already mentioned how because of the Dezingle deal, they got rid of their next two second-round picks. And Anthony declared a boot. Um, so if they want to make a splash, Brian Murray is somebody that I think could garner a lot of interest. David Savard would get even more interest because I think that's a player, a right-shot D, 28 years old, has one year left after this year at four-point-something million. So you're talking about a very – friendly deal and would fill any top four on the right-hand side. Um, but I think it really depends on where they're at in February. If they're 10 points or more out and they know that they're not going to make it, maybe you look at training because there's Andrew Peaks close. There's other defensemen that are close that are ready to push for a spot. And they have 10 to 11 guys that have played in the NHL. Defense is where you're going to go if you're going to try and make a trade. Now, if they're, close enough to the playoffs, then possibly they bring, they look to try to bring a forward in. So too early to say now, it's a better question for the beginning of February, but definitely they'll be interesting because they have the cap room. They have the need to get draft picks back. There's a, there's a lot of different factors in play that can make Columbus very interesting at the deadline. You know, you know, Mark, this week we had a big trade in the league with Taylor Hall, and in addition with all the great work you do with the Jackets and then the minor league affiliates, you're also a great prospect guy, both prospects in the pipeline as well as the upcoming draft. In fact, I think you've joined us for every one of our draft shows for like the last five years, and hopefully that can happen again this June. But, Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. Oh, awesome. So, uh, uh, but, you know, so I want to get your take of Taylor Hall and how, how I mean – at the end of the day, you know, it's what the market will bear, and he is a pending UFA. 
but how would you rate how Jersey did? Uh, they did get a lot of assets back. Uh, and uh, and does this move make sense for Arizona right now, and did they give up too much? I really don't think they gave up too much if you look at the players that are involved. Um, you know that New Jersey wanted a first-round pick, so at least they, they have that in their back pocket, and they might get more if Hall does decide to resign in Arizona. Um, I think Arizona has been setting themselves up for this for quite some time. If you look at the way they've done business with um, all the trades that they made, you know, the year that they got both Keller and Chicker in the same first round. I mean, that was highway robbery in my mind. So they, in my mind, they were setting themselves up for this moment where, you know what, we got the cap space, we got the assets. We can definitely make something happen. And, this Taylor Hall situation came up and they were in a position that they could pounce and, you know, why not? Why not put a, a former league MVP on a team with a young Clayton Keller with a Phil Kessel? I mean, I'm, I, I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, but I want to watch the Arizona Coyotes every night that they play because of who they have on their team. You know, it's unfortunate the injury that happened to Kemper um, but they still have anti Ranta and power of two goaltenders. It's why you have a second goaltender. But just you look at their team. They're fun. They're exciting. There's excitement in the desert. And they, they're trying to go for it. And I, I think it's wonderful for them. And then going back to the prospects that they gave up, it's very interesting. Kevin Ball, was, I think, was the – I guess you would call him the biggest prospect that they got back. He's a big six foot six, six foot seven defenseman who plays on the Ottawa 67s. I actually asked him when he came to Erie just this year, you know, have you talked to Arizona at all? He said, no, really haven't talked with him that much. So it kind of, in my mind, it kind of gave me the sense that he could be part of some sort of a deal. And it turned out that my theory was right, that, um, he was, in, he was going to be involved with something. Um, very smooth skater, um, very big defenseman. I think that ultimately he's going to get to the NHL, but um, it really depends on what happens with the first-round pick that they get because they're obviously – they need to put players around Keishier. They need to put players around Jack Hughes because those are going to be your future stars. So they're starting to look toward the future – knowing that they probably weren't going to re-sign Hall. So it's kind of making the best out of a pretty grim situation as soon as they could. So they got that taken care of, and now it'll be curious to see how they handle some of their other situations. T.K. Subban's been very underwhelming. You know, what about Wayne Simmons? What about Kyle Palmieri? We could go on and on about the Devils. It's going to be very fascinating to see, as Ray Shiro even says. I mean, there's so many storylines that are going on there. Can't wait to see how it all unfolds. So, we got two more for you, Mark, before I let you let the other Mark finish up with you. Uh, I don't. I mean, it might it might sound like a silly question. Are the Caps the best team in the East at this point in time? I guess maybe a better question is, how mu- is it a wide margin of that they're the best team in the East in your opinion? Is it a wide margin? I would say no. Is it a wide margin? Um, I'd say no. I would okay. say Washington right now, you know, until otherwise told, is the best team in the Metropolitan Division. Um, I'd say overall in the East, Boston and the Capitals are right there, kind of neck and neck. I'd throw the Islanders into that discussion. 
I'd throw the Carolina Hurricanes into that discussion. I'd throw a healthy Penguins team into that discussion. I mean, look at the way they're playing now. I mean, they're playing more defensively as of late without Crosby, and they're still winning. They're finding a way to win games with Tristan Jari as their goaltender. So they, you can't rule them out when you know that 87 is coming back at some point. But the gap is not that wide. Carolina is really good. The Islanders are pretty good. And you make one or two smart trades at the trade deadline, you can sort of start to see that gap dwindle even more. I mean, heck, Carolina beat Washington in the playoffs last year. So I wouldn't say that it's wide at all. I, I think that ultimately what happens at the deadline to how they address certain questions are going to tell where that gap ultimately is. I think end of the day, though, um, I, I love Carolina. I love what they're doing. I love the personnel that they have. They're in a really good position if they want to make some upgrades, if they get prospects and picks that they can give up. Um, so right now the Caps are the best team, but at the end of the season going into the playoffs, I could see a situation where it does flip depending on what happens. Well, my last question for you is on the Islanders. Um, and you kind of answered it a little bit. You already kind of answered a bit about you feel that they are an Eastern Conference contender. Uh, if you got to whisper in Lou Lamorello's ear as a suggestion to pick up one piece between now and the deadline, would it be a – you know, the thing is, I don't know the, I don't know what scoring for is it with Till Hall now off the board. Probably the best one is Chris Kreider, and obviously an Islander Ranger trade is not going to happen. I don't know what, what that mark, uh, landscape looks like. Uh, I've, I've been clamoring for, if possible, although every team in the league is going to want him, and that's a uh, Peugeot from Ottawa, uh, two-way mm-hmm. center, and which the Islanders can slide in on that third-line center. What would you think would be a smart move but for Wu? He's got the depth on defense. He's got two good goaltenders. Uh, getting a little bit better up front, I would say. Uh, what, what do you say? 100% agree, and you read my mind. Pajot was the name that came to my mind. I mean, if you can, if you can improve, even improve more, you can never be good enough defensively. I mean, you're already great enough defensively, but if you get a guy like Pajot who can be a threat in all situations, especially shorthanded, I mean, you add another dynamic element to your team that teams have to account for. So that's that is the interesting name. You think of the teams that are kind of, um, you know, tank, not tanking, but those that are near the bottom of the standings. I mean, you know, who, does Detroit have anybody that's interesting? The Ducks came into today third from the bottom. Um, would you even consider trading your stalwart Ryan Getzlaff anywhere? I don't know. But that's those are the things that you would look at, and I think that story is developing as we speak. I think we'll have a better idea come February 1st where teams actually are at, what they're thinking, you know, things like that. Chicago's in another really interesting position. I I think Stan Bowman's job is not exactly the safest in the world. They have some veterans on that team that I'm sure that if they found the right trade, they would be willing to get rid of. You could have them come over and possibly help, help a young team try to make their way. Um, but Pajo is definitely the guy that, you know, every time you watch oh, he, him, he's just so He would fit like a glove into Trotz's system, don't you think? Oh, 100%. Yeah, no doubt. 
All right, we're talking with Mark Scheig from Erie PA, home of the Wonders, with that hit record, That Thing You Do. Um, as we stick around in the Easter, yeah, a little pop culture reference there. Um, right. As we stick around in the Eastern Conference, we, we talked Boston, we talked the Isles and the Caps. Mm-hmm. Is Tampa going to wake up this season? Do we, are we are we going to see them put on, get on a run and get back in this thing? What do you see wrong in Tampa? Well, I kind of suspected that they weren't going to put up the same amount of points as they did last year. So I think that that sure. was naturally to be expected. I also see a team that's kind of going through, uh, you know, obviously Cooper and Kucher off that situation. And we don't have the same Tyler Johnson. We just don't – we haven't seen vintage Tampa. But I'm not necessarily convinced that that's a bad thing because if you recall last year, until they actually got to the playoff series with Columbus, how much adversity did they actually have? Very little, if any. And now they're actually going through it this year. So and they're, you can't ignore the talent. And I know that they've been dealing with some injuries as well. But if they were to be able to figure everything out at the same time and they play their best as they go into the playoffs, I actually would like their chances better this year than I actually would have last year because, you know, the playoffs are a grind. And Columbus showed them that if you play in their face without fear, well, Tampa actually didn't stand a chance. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with them. I do ultimately think they wake up. There's just too much talent on that roster for it not to happen, but you know, they, they're going to be battling. They get There's other teams that want to get into the playoffs. We mentioned Philly. We mentioned, well, we haven't mentioned the Florida Panthers yet. Um, so it's not going to be as easy as last year, but that might not be a bad thing, but it will be really interesting to see what happens, you know, with this Kucherov, Cooper, and is Cooper's job in jeopardy? I've seen some articles out there wondering if maybe it's time to start thinking about that. I'm not saying that yet, but maybe it's coming sooner than we think. Well, you, well, you, you bring me to my last question, sir, and we were doing the, the preview show, and you put a real good question to me and Chris about Florida and Philly and who would mm-hmm. be the, the favorite for the wild card, and, and here we are. Uh, some, some teams approaching the halfway mark in the season, and right now Philly is in and Florida's out, but they're right behind. They're, I think, four points back as we speak with a game in hand. Um, Fl- Florida's playing a little bit better lately. How do you see mm-hmm. that shaking out, or are we still uh, on the fence or – Maybe not on the fence is a good way to put it, but is it still too early to tell where these teams are headed? Mm, It's a great question, and I think there's a third team that we have to consider looking at, and they're playing this afternoon right now, it's the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Right. Not quite sure what all to make of Buffalo yet. I mean, Jack Eichel's playing. I mean, if you were to ask me right now who the Hart Trophy winner would be, I know what McDavid's doing. I know what Dreisaitl is doing. I know what David Posternock did early. Give me Jack Eichel. You saw what happened the other night when they played the Philadelphia without him. They were a mess. Yeah. This mm. guy literally 
is the glue that holds them together. And they are, when they're right, they can be really fun to watch. Um, they're good enough that they can make the playoffs, but they're also bad enough that they could fall right out of them. So we really don't know what to make of them yet, but they're in that conversation. So right amongst those three teams, um, can Philadelphia sustain the early momentum? I know the the Vigneault factor has been good. Travis Konechny's playing out of his mind right now, and I mean, the, the defensive um, players that they brought in have been a help. You know, Bobrovsky's starting to get a little more comfortable after being benched for a few games. Um, at the Quenville factor, that's going to be a fascinating race because that last, yeah. I, I think those are going to be the ones you consider and. and Look at where Toronto's at right now. We haven't even talked about them yet. I mean, I know that they're starting to get a little bit better off here now that Babcock is gone, but where, where are they going to fall into all of this? So there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of fascinating stories that we yeah. need time and games for <laughs> it to play itself out, but they are all in the conversation. But going back to Philly or um, Florida for a minute, if you were to ask me right now, which team would I rather have? By the ever so slightest of margins, I'd still say Florida. Hmm. Well, go, going back to Buffalo real quick before I let you go, they just uh, sent Casey Middlestad back to the A. Have, yep. have we seen who Casey Middlestad is? Um, is? You know, the you are what you say you are, you are what your record says you are, whatever that Dennis Green quote was from yep. back in the day. Um, is is have we seen who Casey Millstad is, and is he going to be that that uh, let's say eighth forward, first call up kind of guy, or is there still a ceiling for him? Oh, there's plenty of room for him yet. It's just he 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 struggled, um, and it was absolutely the right move to send him down to Rochester. I mean, he he needs to be seasoned, he needs to be developed. They don't need to rush him per se. Um, I know that maybe there were some unrealistic expectations of him you know, being picked where he was at, that he was going to come in and do some things, but he clearly showed that he needs development. And give Botterill credit. Um, give Jason Botterill credit for, you know, realizing that this needed to happen. And once he did, he didn't waste any time, and middle staff got sent down. So I think there's still – I still got plenty of room for him. I'm definitely not giving up on him. But he just, you know, he needs some time to develop. And I'll give you an example real quick about Buffalo and the guy that, Tell you what, you want to talk about the Calder. I mean, Kel McCart's probably going to win the Calder, but boy, Victor Olsen's having himself one heck of a season. Yeah, yeah. Sabres power play specialist can shoot the puck. He spent how many years in Europe before he came over here? And I think that's what they're hoping with Metal Stat too. That get some time, develop the game, come back when he's ready and then he can take off. And I think Olsen is a great example of why development is so important when you have young players like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not that long ago where you would draft a kid in juniors and he finish his junior career, and then you'd sign him to his AHL contract, and then he'd play in the AHL for three or four years before, you know, 22, 23-ish is, I mean, unless, mm-hmm. let's face it, unless you're, Carmen Tavis, um, and it's just a no-brainer. Even your first-round picks not too long ago, you're looking at three years, four years. Uh, you let your body fill out. You, you, you know, you go from being the, the 
fresh 18-year-old kid. I mean, just think think about being in high school and then thinking about graduating college, where you are physically and mentally between that four-year gap. So possibly too many expectations in Buffalo Nation on uh, what Middlestat was ready to do this season. Um, You agree with that? 100%. 100% agree with that assessment. I think that his play kind of showed that. He showed some flashes of what he could be, but ultimately it just he needed the time down there and credit to the team for recognizing it. Well, all right, Mark, Chris, you got anything else in there before we have, we have to let him go? Uh, no, I wanted to make sure you check out Mark's stuff uh, at Mark Scheich. He's a great writer for the Hockey Writers, and uh, we'll be uh, calling on you again soon, Mark. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, have a good day, sir. The, the, the great and powerful Shiger on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. You have a feeling with that guy that you could just uh, just randomly throw anything at him, hockey-related, AHL, juniors, European League, and dude's going to know uh, what he's talking about and have an educated opinion on it. It's always good to talk to him. Oh, absolutely. He... Uh... Uh, it's great. It's great. Always great to have Shiger on. So many, like you said, from Columbus to the conference to the, uh, to the prospects to the draft and, and everywhere in between. So uh, great having him on as uh, as as always. So uh, we'll have to see what Columbus uh, what Columbus is going to be in store for. Uh, like I said, they're in a well, well. Their play will dictate. Uh, the play over the next six weeks will dictate. Uh, what kind of moves that they'll be looking to make. But um all right my friends, so um this will be our last show before Christmas. So I wanna wish everyone a uh Merry Christmas and all that jazz. We'll have another show before the new year and um and uh you know, everyone enjoy it. Spend time with family and friends and uh uh you know, let's all of us try to do something for somebody else between now and uh Christmas. That's that's my that's my wish. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and let's uh, let's just remember that I don't know how to put it. I don't want to go on another rant. Let's just remember that we're all here in the same we're all here on the, in the same boat as as Americans um, and humans and whatever uh, whatever the media and the politicians use to try to divide us all. America isn't Washington, D.C. America isn't um, talking heads on TV trying to tell us all what to think. America is the citizens and the people who live here and and the people who are here um, helping our country get better and stronger. So let's, like Chris said, let's just, you know, random act of kindness. Bruce Almighty. Almighty. I'm going to go another pop culture reference. That's my wish. You can walk up to somebody and just, Hey, have a great day, man. You know, tap someone on the shoulder in the hall at work and just say, hey, bud, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. You know, we don't have to be a divided country. And and my Christmas wish is that the the people in in the country can get past what is going on and remember who we really are as people. Um, We saw it after 9-11, and I hope that there's some unifying factor that can remind us all of that, sir. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, remember, it's you know, we all got different opinions, and, and t- at times we will agree, or some of us will agree, and some of us won't. And uh, you got to rem- remember all that and respect that. And uh, uh, you know, and, and not to get on my soapbox, and not to get, but you know, uh, love thy neighbor. If you're religious or not, is 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 uh, a great way to to live one's life. So, um, uh, and it, this time wow, of year, I, I think it's. Uh, uh, this time of year, it's you know I think even more so to to try to try to say that and and keep that in mind. So. Yep, we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have a, a little. We did our uh, Seattle expansion uh, podcast there for Thanksgiving. We're gonna have another one uh, coming up over the holidays here. That's a little bit you know it's not off topic so to speak. But we're going to explore um, the NHL and the concussion head injury situation and, and ramifications, um, some sports business, sports gambling and stuff. We had a, a guest a while back, Derek Allen, and we're going to have him on uh, for a show that we can release here over the holidays. It's just a little, just a little general uh, hockey talk. We're not going to be focused so much on. Um, the nights and and you know things going on in the league. We're going to go a broader scope of discussion. That's going to be a fun show, and I can't wait for that. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Well, I will talk to you before uh, Christmas. Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, and happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, and, and uh, happy holidays to everybody out there. Uh, and and thanks everybody for tuning in today to the podcast. We've had a great year year here. Um, we have another show before the end of the year, but uh, happy holidays to everybody. We appreciate it. For Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.